This is This Week Above the Fold, your weekly source of e-commerce news in seven minutes or less covered by leaders in the digital commerce industry. Today is March 15th. I'm Emma Irwin. I have Danny Hoffman, Associate Director of Client Services at Flywheel Digital here with me. Today, we're going to cover Amazon pausing construction of its second headquarters in Virginia, Amazon closing its cashierless stores in New York City, San Francisco, and Seattle, and what's happening with Silicon Valley Bank. So for story number one, Amazon pausing construction of that second headquarters in Virginia. What's going on here and what were the original plans with this? So this is kind of fascinating. So we live in Baltimore, uh, or I personally live in Baltimore, which is where Flywheel is headquartered. And we were kind of looking down the road and thinking, oh, we might get an Amazon headquarters coming at some point. Kind of fascinating to sort of see Amazon walk away from this, but not really all that surprising, if I'm being honest. But one of the challenges that Amazon had faced was there was a time where this made a lot of sense for them. They were a top two employer in the US um, and they were significant in terms of headcount. They've laid off 20,000 people or almost 20,000 people within the last year. They're probably, honestly, if I had to bet, they're probably going to see more layoffs just like the rest of the tech industry is. And there's also financial challenges too, which I think ties into the cashierless store piece. So it actually makes a lot of sense for them to maybe walk away from this temporarily uh, or permanently. But from a headcount perspective, it makes sense. Probably from a profitability perspective also makes sense. Let's get into story number two, which ties nicely with story number one and story number three. But Amazon closing those cashierless stores. So from story number one, know that cost cutting, probably a root cause here. But what does this mean for Amazon's physical presence outside of the office buildings? This one's really cool. There's been a a larger push, I think, from Amazon as they start to recognize their uh, omni compatriots starting to compete with them online. And the question is, if you're encroaching on my share of e-commerce, which at one point was like it was two thirds of everything online was Amazon. And now I think that's starting to trickle down and become a little bit more evened out. Amazon had been at least visibly pushing into some of the the physical space and into physical retail. And how did how does that match up well for them? The really fascinating thing that we've heard rumblings about with cashierless stores and some of that technology was that Amazon's intention was actually never to really scale the physical store, but it was more to test this technology out and then eventually sell that externally. I could see that maybe being a a next step here now that they've probably got some good learnings of what works and what doesn't and helps make physical retail, especially grocery, a little bit smarter. Story number three, Silicon Valley Bank. No other context needed here, but what is going on? (laughs) A whole lot in a very short period of time. Pretty wild stuff. So I'll I'll quickly talk with what happened. And then uh, kind of this is not from me. You know, I I don't have a finance background, but this is from kind of reading and putting a couple things together at the very high level. And then I think the more important is what does it have to do with us? Okay, so high level, Fed increased interest rates. What does that have to do with SVB? So a bank is profitable if their interest rate that they charge for loans is greater than the interest rate they pay to their depositors. And SVB, mainly because of the S and the V, because they were sitting in Silicon Valley, they are so more than half of US tech and life science startups bank with SVB. And one of the very sensitive natures of banks is that if I believe the bank doesn't have enough liquid assets to potentially pay me back for what I've deposited, then I might freak out. And 
jump in, try to liquidate all of my assets or as many of them as possible in order to provide some individual security for me. What happens then is that the bank then has to pay those depositors back, which they likely don't have the liquid assets in hand because they've loaned it out. And so then that spurs others to get worried too. Then they come and then that's called a bank run. When a bank run is one of the easiest ways for a bank to fail. And that's actually the cause, one of the causes of the Great Depression. That's one of the causes of what happened in 2008. So a lot of fear here. Um, but SVB got downgraded uh, in terms of their debt on Wednesday, prompted VCs and startups to rush to liquidate on Thursday. And then when they couldn't take out their funds, it prompted even more fear, spiraled, and then the end. So you asked the question for me, but how does this impact us? Yeah. So the the next immediate step was, uh, you know, there, there's obviously this larger worry of, well, they don't have my money, what happens? And so a lot of folks are taking to Twitter or pushing more publicly for the FDIC to get involved. They did. They just announced they were going to make investors whole, which would prevent further damage. And the larger risk is not just to SVB, but to the larger banking sector. So if someone starts to feel like they don't believe in one bank, it could lead to a an effect where everyone starts to not believe in any banks, which is not great for everyone. So I believe the quote from um, the FDIC in their response to prevent a bank run becoming contagious and making investors whole was, quote, today we are taking decisive actions to prevent uh, to protect the U.S. economy by strengthening public confidence in our banking system, which is great. So what does this actually have to do with us? It's more about who was investing in SVB than it is about the bank itself because it's such a tech and life sciences startup centric bank. One of the challenges that we've seen happen in the e-commerce industry has been the role of um, VCs and aggregators getting involved in buying up e-com businesses um, with the idea of being, if I can buy this thing short term and then I can spin it up, it's going to be great for me. And in 2020 and 2021, that was true. Last one for you. What is the most interesting and or important story in your opinion? I think the last one is the most interesting and important. There's a lot coming and changing here. I think the biggest impact that we're going to end up seeing is the role of aggregation. So with this really heavily impacting startups and a lot of the fear among those startups was, uh, am I going to have enough money to pay my employees this week or keep my company going? That's a pretty significant fear. The role of aggregation becomes this safety blanket and it puts companies in a position where they are quote unquote too big to fail, which is generally a fallacy, but like there are some that might be, right? Like so Amazon laid off 20,000 people and it's still going to keep rolling. And that's it for this week's e-commerce news. Tune in next week for three more headlines we think belong above the fold, digested for you by our essential digital commerce experts. I'm Emma Irwin, Senior Editor and Specialist at Essential. See you next time. 